0: So welcome to our TMIT High Performer Webinar for this month, Online Harm to Children, Threats, Opportunities, and the Four Ps. We're really delighted to have you on board with us. I'm Charles Denham. I will be your host today. I'm chairman of TMIT. And this is our 213th month in a row that we've uh, delivered these free webinars. And we're very grateful for uh, our, our reactors and for your attention this has really turned into a a broad, broad uh, podcast and video series. And so this is, we consider this a a live filming of uh, what we will be uh, covering in uh, extended versions. And so we're really, really blessed to um, have you join us today. Um, We'll start with a, a video that we think will capture your attention.
1: We tonight with the very heated showdown on Capitol Hill, the top executives from social media companies facing blistering questions from senators. And sitting right there were parents holding images of their children, many of whom have died by suicide after being bullied and exploited on social media. The CEOs of Discord, Snap, TikTok, X, and Meta, which of course runs Facebook and Instagram, all taking the oath. Behind them, the heartbroken, determined parents with the photos of their children. And the unexpected moment Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg asked if he would stand up to apologize to the parents. He did at what he said. ABC's Selena Wang, leading us off from Capitol Hill.
2: In a blistering and combative hearing on Capitol Hill today, senators demanding social media executives do more to protect children online.
3: You have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people.
2: Sitting behind the tech CEOs are parents holding photos of their children who they say took their own lives because of abuse on social media. And in this remarkable moment, Senator Josh Hawley confronts Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg.
4: They're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people?
2: Zuckerberg rising, turning around to face them. <laughs>
5: Have, have suffered
6: and this is why we invested so much and are going to continue doing these three efforts to, uh, to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families can cut themselves
2: on. Zuckerberg and TikTok's chief executive agreed to testify, but senators had to subpoena X, Snapchat and Discord CEOs to show up. Lawmakers slamming the companies for blocking regulation that may have prevented the tragedies.
7: We've been working on this stuff for a decade. You have an army of lawyers and lobbyists that have fought us on this every step of the way.
2: Senator Amy Klobuchar visibly upset, admitting the failures of Congress.
8: I'm so
9: tired of this. It's been 28 years, what, since the internet. We haven't passed any of these bills.
2: Zuckerberg, whose company Meta owns Facebook and Instagram, taking the most heat from senators, claiming there's no direct link between social media and mental health.
6: I take this very seriously. Mental health is a complex issue. And the existing body of scientific work has not shown a causal link between using social media and young people having worse mental health outcomes.
2: Senators pressing if his platform is safe for children.
6: Is your platform safe for kids? I believe it is. Isn't the Internet a dangerous place for children? I think it can be. Yeah, there's both great things that people can do and there are harms that we need to work to Yeah, make. it's a dangerous place for children.
2: But Brandon Guffey, who is in the hearing room, says the companies aren't doing enough. He blames Instagram for his son Gavin's suicide after he was sexually exploited by scammers, telling me he's not buying Zuckerberg's apology.
10: He is a damn liar, is what he is. Where I'm from, we have a saying, don't talk about it, be about it. And your actions speak louder than words. So there's nothing that you can say until you start implementing these changes.
1: So let's bring in Selena Wang live on the Hill tonight. Selena, first of all, did these top executives at the social media companies agree to any uh, concrete changes uh, moving forward in Congress? They've talked about this for years. Or are they any closer to passing any kind of law here?
2: Well, David, only two of the five executives, the CEOs of X, formerly known as Twitter, and Snap, are promising to support bipartisan proposed law that would hold these companies more liable for harmful content on their platforms. But notably, Mark Zuckerberg and the CEO of TikTok did not. Now, as far as Congress, for years they've been trying to regulate social media, but so far have been unsuccessful in trying to pass any major legislation.
0: So Senator Cruz had some very important questions to ask of Mark Zuckerberg, which we will uh, show next.
3: Social media is a very powerful tool, but we're here because every parent I know, and I think every parent in America is terrified about the garbage that is directed at our kids. I have two teenagers at home. And the phones they have are portals to predators, to viciousness, to bullying, to self-harm. And each of your companies could do a lot more to prevent it. Mr. Zuckerberg, in June of 2023, the Wall Street Journal reported that Instagram's recommendation systems were actively connecting pedophiles to accounts that were advertising the sale of child sexual abuse material. In many cases, those accounts appeared to be run by underage children themselves, often using code words and emojis to advertise illicit material. In other cases, the accounts included indicia that the victim was being sex trafficked. I know that Instagram has a team that works to prevent the abuse and exploitation of children online. But what was particularly concerning about the Wall Street Journal expose was the degree to which Instagram's own algorithm was promoting the discoverability of victims for pedophiles seeking child abuse material. In other words, this material wasn't just living on the dark corners of Instagram. Instagram was helping pedophiles find it by promoting graphic hashtags Including hashtag ped whore and hashtag preteen sex to potential buyers. Instagram also displayed the following warning screen to individuals who were searching for child abuse material. The these results may contain images of child sexual abuse, and then you gave users two choices get resources, or see results anyway. Mr. Zuckerberg, what the hell were you thinking?
6: All right, Senator. Um, the, the, The basic science behind that is that when people are searching for something that is problematic, it's often helpful to... Rather than just blocking it to help direct them towards something that um, that could be helpful for getting them to get help.
5: In, in what I also, understand,
3: get resources. In what sane universe is there a link for see results anyway?
6: Well, because we might be wrong. We we try to trigger this this uh, warning, or we tried to um, when we think that there's any chance that the results. Okay, you might, might be, be
3: wrong. Let me ask you: How many times was this warning screen displayed?
6: I don't know, but the... But the hey, you don't know. Why don't you
3: know? I, I, I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. But, well, but You know what, Mr. Zuckerberg, it's interesting you say you don't know it off the top of your head because I asked it in June of 2023 in an oversight letter and your company refused to answer. Will you commit right now to within five days answering this question for this committee? We'll follow up on that. Is that a Yes. Not a will follow up. I know how lawyers write statements saying we're not going to answer. Will you tell us how many times this warning screen was displayed, yes or no? Senator, I'll personally look into it. I'm not sure if we have. Okay, so you're refusing to answer that. Let me ask you this. How many times did an Instagram user who got this warning that you're seeing images of child sexual abuse, how many times did that user click on see results anyway? I want to see that.
6: Senator, I'm not sure if we stored that, but I'll personally look into this and we'll follow up after.
3: And what follow-up did Instagram do when you have a potential pedophile clicking on, I'd like to see child porn, what did you do next when that happened? Senator,
6: I think that an important piece of context here is that any context that we think is child Mr. sexual Mr. Zuckerberg,
3: use- that's called a question. What did you do next when someone clicked... You may be getting child sexual abuse images, and they click, see results anyway. What was your next step? You said you might be wrong. Did anyone examine, was it in fact child sexual abuse material? Did anyone report that user? Did anyone go and try to protect that child? What did you do
6: next? Senator, we take down anything that we think is sexual abuse material on the service, and we do Did did anyone verify
3: whether it was in fact child sexual abuse material?
6: Senator, I don't know if, if every single search
3: result we're following up on, but in, did but you report the, board, the people
6: who wanted it? Senator, do you want me to answer your question? Yeah, I want
3: you to answer the question I'm asking. Did you report time to the people them? who click, see results anyway?
6: Uh, that's probably one of the factors that we use in reporting, and in general, and we've reported more people and done more reports like this to Nick the National Center of Missing Exploited Children, than any other company in the industry. We proactively go out of our way across our services to do this, and have made, I think it's more than 26 million reports, which is more than the whole rest of the industry combined. So, Mr. Zuckerberg, Mr. Zuckerberg,
3: your company and every social media company needs to do much more to protect children.
0: So our topic today is online harm to children, threats, opportunities, and the four Ps. We're gonna cover the threats and opportunities and apply a framework that we use when we develop the Leapfrog Group patient safety program of awareness, accountability, ability, and action. Uh, we're going to discuss briefly the, the issue of the internet uh, harm and the internet use in social media as a complex adaptive system. That accountability really needs to be all staker- stakeholders, not just one. Yes, they're villains, but everyone has a responsibility. Resources are critical now and that all stakeholders need to act. The second main section are the four Ps and getting left of boom. We use this uh, framework that the military developed on moving upstream from harm to our military, and actually move from this uh, approach of individuals playing defense to play offense on online harm for children. Pre- uh, prevention, preparedness, protection, and performance improvement are the four Ps. And then finally, why act? Why act now and why you? If, we, if you tell me how long you want to wait, we'll tell you how many lives will be lost. You tell us how many you're willing to lose and we'll tell you how long to wait. You'll either be counting saves or graves, and we apply this to our bystander rescue care program, and now, as we've been learning about online harm to children, it's really a a very tough time. We'd like to remind those of you that are on uh, live that you may go to safetyleaders.org to the landing page in the upper right-hand corner to download the slides. We now have many more people following us on podcasts and see the recordings Um, after this pre-recording or this recording episode. And we'd like to let you know that there'll be additional resources on that website and that you can go um, on safetyleaders.org to find those. Uh, We'll start off with, and as we have for uh, more than a decade, now almost 13 years of uh, monthly webinars, Uh, We always start with the voice of the family or the voice of the patient uh, in patient safety. And we'll ask Jennifer Dingman, who is an outstanding community leader, who has actually uh, uh, won the Pete Conrad Global Patient Safety Award, has uh, spoken for many, many, uh, many months with us uh, representing patients and families, has been a steadfast support of patient safety and actually led to the uh, hospital acquired conditions work that led to uh, over $30 billion saved and over 300,000 lives that were saved. So Jenny has been uh, wonderful and we'll ask Jenny to uh, open us.
11: Thank you, Dr. Denham for your kind introduction. Really looking forward to today's program. This is such an important issue in this decade in our country. I wanna thank everyone for being here today and encourage you to share the recording with your friends, families, and colleagues. I'll hand it back over to you, Dr. Denham.
0: Thank you, Jenny, and thank you for your steadfast support of all things in safety. Um, we're really, really uh, honored to have a wonderful group of reactors today. David Bashk is an award-winning educator, uh, also won the Peconic Global Patient Safety Award in uh, 2018. We have David uh, Grinsfelder, who has uh, is uh, a real Renaissance man, doing many different things, and has been uh, uh, has worked in media with Amazon. Uh, is uh, uh, contemplating a great career going forward in business and and the law. We have uh, Perry Bechtel, who is uh, an industrial engineer and a recent uh, Tesla engineer who's applying to medical school. And we look forward to uh, hearing from uh, from Perry and from uh, David regarding our young adult team at TMIT and their thoughts regarding how we can tackle this online harm to children and our youth. Randy Steiner is the director of emergency response for the University of California, Irvine, a best-selling author. Um, and a real leader in safety and quality. Uh, we thank you, Randy, for joining us. You have a great passion for this topic. We have John Nance, best-selling author and uh, expert in both patient safety and in aviation safety, um, who is an ABC um, uh, expert uh, panelist when we run into things in patient safety or uh, aviation safety, uh, and also a best-selling author both in fiction and non-fiction uh, areas. We have Chief uh, Bill Adcox, who is uh, the chief security officer for MD Anderson Cancer Center, the chief of police for the University of Texas Police Department, and a real pathfinder in emerging threats. And we have Dr. Gregory Boats, who is uh, our team lead on all things clinical and was a co-founder along with Chief Adcox. Uh, of the bystander rescue care programs through medtech, our medical tactical combination, and um, I'm uh, I will be your host today. So we're very blessed to have uh, all of you uh, uh, join us today. Our, our approach to uh, to all things educational are to really uh, create communities of practice to focus on course uh, R&D and development. Uh, and uh, then develop competencies in those areas, and and in moving forward, we've done that in bystander rescue care, and now we will be focusing on this critical issue of online um, care. We're doing a lot in artificial intelligence now, and in consent, in the area of consent, and in the area of privacy and personal identity protection. Um, Care University is our learning management system, not not an accredited university, but like many corporate university um, uh, terms that uh, that people use, it's our learning management system uh, to deliver a community um, and medical uh, education for uh, doctors and nurses. Um, Over the the years, we've developed about 3,100 medical centers and expanded to universities now in over 3,000 communities. Uh, will be 40 years, our anniversary here in July, and we have about 500 subject matter experts over the years who have all donated their time to help us do a better job uh, at safety and quality and public safety. A number of articles have been published in Campus Safety Magazine. We won't go through those, but we, uh, our next in our next article, we'll be addressing uh, online harm to children and simulation. Uh, and uh, we also have developed a community of practice to focus on the pandemic of uh, the coronavirus. And it appears that we really have a, an epidemic or pandemic of online harm to children the deeper we get into it. Um, our social media presence has been pretty minimal and we'll be expanding that um, to be able to help combat these uh, these challenges that we face ahead. Uh, And uh, before we kick off, we just want to remind those of you that are joining us for the first time and those that are in the podcast and are not seeing visually, we focus on our purpose, mission and values. Our purpose is to measure our success by how we protect and enrich the lives of families, patients and caregivers. And our children are so vital to us uh, in our families. Our mission is to accelerate performance solutions that save lives, save money and create value in the communities we serve. Our core values are eye care, uh, integrity, compassion, accountability, reliability, and entrepreneurship, which we've learned from Ann Rhodes, the co-founder of Blue, how vital and important those core values are. Just a moment on disclosure. No product, service, or technology is going to be promoted uh, through the webinar. We do not receive any funding of any kind from pharmaceutical or device companies as well. So the, the focus of today of online harm to children evolved out of our – focus on emerging threats and emerging threats in our communities. We identified 30 emerging threats that are keeping community leaders up at night and many of them relate to uh, the internet, cybersecurity, the theft of medical records, et cetera. Uh, And as we looked at those 30, uh, we really understand now that the theft of medical identity, especially children. And uh, fraud, fraudulent behaviors by predators uh, against our children is is a major, major problem. And so uh, as we uh, have focused on those 30, uh, we've identified that preventable death and severe injury is occurring to our children and our youth. um, And we are uh, highly focused on that as part of this emerging threats community practice that we launched uh, in 2018. So I can't believe it; it's been five years ago. Over the COVID period of time that we all were subject to that and then beyond, through our our work in in emergency care, we studied 1,000 essential critical workers. These are the families that had to keep working throughout COVID. And we're so thankful to have David Grinsfelder and Perry um, Bechtel and John Nance and Randy Steiner and and David Bashkal with us today uh, because they helped us through that study uh, where we focused on uh, the State of Readiness, Response, Rescue, Recovery, and Resilience, which is a model that we won't discuss today regarding online harm to kids, but uh, we are going to apply it. So let's get into the topic right now. What about So what about the, these threats and opportunities? What do we need to know about these things? And what we'll be doing is showing a series of videotapes that uh, they, uh, they uh, really... Um, really put uh, a short focus on what we're experiencing. And so we'll show this first uh, video clip and show a number of video clips, and then we'll have our reactors react
10: to what they're hearing.
12: I'm Amanda, and I'm a spokesperson for Safe Surfing Foundation. It is my job and my mission ever since I was 13 to help educate our youth on the dangers of online predators on the internet, and also to educate our youth and the parents on how to be safe and taking proper precautions while surfing the internet daily. When I was 13, my mom and dad brought home our first family computer. It was something really neat that we had never had in our home before. We were excited to explore the options that we now had at our fingertips. One day, I was on the internet and came across a website that our school had set up for everyone in our grades from 6 to 8. It was an area where we were able to talk about homework, sports, and other highlights that were going on with our friends. I got really excited that everybody was coming together. We started our own chat room that we could all just talk about everything, our families, our friends school, anything that bothered us that day. That afternoon, I got an instant message. I didn't know who the person was, so of course I asked, hi, who are you? How do you know us? And they just kinda came across saying, I'm a friend of somebody you know. Little by little, he started asking me questions about myself and I about him. He told me he was a boy from the beach, and I told him that I was from a small city. And then he told me he played football. I told him about my soccer team and how we played games every week and practiced and that my jersey number was number five. He told me his football jersey was number five as well. So then we had another common bond. The more we started talking he started asking me more questions but I didn't think much of it like what's your school colors? Mine are red and black. So of course I said well mine are black and silver how neat those would go great together. So we just formed a great friendship, and it was really nice. Little did I know that that person on the other side of the computer screen was a grown adult. His profile had all the signs of being a 14-year-old teenager, just like we were. He played football, soccer, had friends, went to the mall, went to the beach, and surfed. Everything that we only dreamed that we could do, but we didn't live at the beach. He talked like we did. He had pictures of a younger gentleman that could have been a teenager, and he really played the game well. This stranger drove four and a half hours and found out my routine. He knew where I lived, where I went to school. He knew when I got off the bus and when my parents went to work. He knew everything about me, even down to where my practices were for soccer and cheerleading. He would drive back and forth to learn these routines like the back of his hand. Then, one Sunday afternoon, it was a day that changed my life. My mom and I woke up to go to church like every Sunday, and we decided to have lunch and go shopping afterwards. I quickly reminded her on our way to the mall that I had to be at a babysitting job soon after and that we couldn't be too long. After my mother and I finished lunch, we went home. I changed clothes and began to walk to my next babysitting job. As I was walking down the road, I noticed a green truck following me. Before I knew it, he stopped, rolled down his window, and asked if I was Amanda. Before I could answer, he opened the door and threw me in. I was frozen, in shock, and completely terrified. He then took me to a local hotel where this online predator held me for hours against my will. I was brutally raped, assaulted, and I didn't know if I would ever go home again. After being held captive for five and a half hours, this online predator dropped me off on the side of the road where my mother and the police were waiting. The police gave chase and caught him at the end of the cul-de-sac where they made the arrest. After my abduction, I felt alone and lost. I didn't think I would ever be the same again. I blamed myself and I blamed my parents. But deep down, it wasn't our fault. It was the predator's fault. I was lucky. Many kids don't make it home after an experience like that. For the past 14 years, I've made it my life mission to work with the Safe Surfing Foundation to help educate today's kids and their parents about the dangers that lurk on the internet. Please join me and the Safe Surfing Foundation to help educate our children so that what happened to me will never happen to another child again.
0: So the Wall Street Journal uh, last year undertook uh, a very sophisticated study of one of the social media companies. uh, And we'll go ahead and uh, show that video and it, it will describe how the algorithms, the AI algorithms actually drive our young people down into what we would call rabbit holes. They, they uh, drive, uh, drive them down to areas where they might be uh, depressed uh, uh, or have other uh, uh, issues, all in the, in the goal of being able to keep them uh, online.
11: Okay, has anyone else noticed that your For You page has been a little too accurate lately?
8: It hasn't been things that I'll Google or I talk about. It's been thoughts. TikTok knows
13: everything about us. Hold up, don't scroll, let me ask you something first. Can someone please explain how this algorithm works? TikTok users often wonder how the world's fastest growing social network seems to know them so well.
14: TikTok secretly listening to us while we're watching videos? I don't know.
13: The answer to how this app gets to know you so intimately is a highly secretive algorithm, long guarded by TikTok's China-based parent company, ByteDance.
15: TikTok has been so successful in terms of implementing their algorithm. TikTok's algorithm
6: can influence the thinking of U.S. youth.
13: To understand how it knows users so well, the Wall Street Journal created over 100 automated TikTok accounts, or bots, that watched hundreds of thousands of videos on the app. We also spoke to current and former executives at the company. Officially, the company says that shares, likes, follows, and what you watch all play a role in what TikTok shows you. We found that TikTok only needs one of these to figure you out. How long you linger over a piece of content. Every second you hesitate or rewatch, the app is tracking you.
7: just want to quiet the noise.
13: Through this one powerful signal, TikTok learns your most hidden interests and emotions and drives you deep into rabbit holes of content that are hard to escape.
16: In <laughs> in
13: the TikTok experience starts the same way for everyone. Open the app and you'll immediately see an endless string of videos in your For You feed. Take this new user, a 24-year-old from Henry County, Kentucky. TikTok starts by serving the account a selection of very popular videos vetted by app moderators. Is this person religious? Because I still have a purpose, and you still a plan for my life. Do they want to participate in viral dances? Are they feeling down lately?
11: Just
15: remember, I loved you once, and that love goes for a friend, family, or any relationship.
13: What TikTok doesn't know is that the 24-year-old from Kentucky isn't a person at all. It's one of the bot accounts programmed by the Wall Street Journal. Let's call it Kentucky 96. We set up these accounts to understand how TikTok figures out your unexpressed interests. We assigned each bot a date of birth and an IP address, which told TikTok their location. None were given a gender. We gave each bot, or user, interests. But those interests were never entered into the app. The only way our users expressed their interests was by re-watching or pausing on videos with related hashtags or images. Some were into extreme sports. Others were interested in forestry. Or dance. Or astrology. I'm not the babysitter, I'm not the parent. Or some other topic.
6: Keep scrolling if you hate animals.
13: For all our accounts, we found that TikTok draws users in at first by serving a wide variety of videos, many with millions of views. Then, as the algorithm sees what you respond to, the selection of videos and the view counts can get lower and lower, with fewer of them vetted by moderators to see if they violate TikTok's terms of service. We reviewed our experiment and its results with a data scientist, an algorithm expert, and Guillaume Chazlo, a former Google engineer who worked on YouTube's algorithm. He's now an advocate for algorithm transparency. He says TikTok is different from other social media platforms.
17: The algorithm on TikTok can get much more powerful and it can be able to learn your vulnerabilities much faster.
13: In fact, TikTok fully learned many of our accounts' interests in less than two hours. Summit figured out in less than 40 minutes.
17: On YouTube, more than 70% of the views come from the recommendation engine. so It's already huge, but on TikTok, it's even worse. It's probably like 90, 95% of the content that is seen that comes from uh, the recommendation engine.
13: This is a visualization made from hashtags attached to the videos our bots watched. Think of it as a partial view of the universe of TikTok content. Here's where we find dance videos. Over here are the cooking videos. The spindly arms stretching out of the center represent niche content areas. This arm starts with general videos of cute animals. But if we follow it out to the end, we find more specific videos for enthusiasts of French Bulldogs. As Kentucky 96 starts its journey, it starts moving around within the mainstream where TikTok is trying to puzzle out what it wants. We program Kentucky 96 to be interested in sadness and depression. Let's see how long it takes TikTok to figure that out.
15: Life doesn't happen to you, life happens for you. So if life is taking people away from your life and putting new ones in.
13: Less than three minutes into using TikTok at its 15th video, Kentucky 96 pauses on this.
15: And that love goes for a friend, family, or any relationship.
13: Kentucky 96 watches the 35 second video twice. Here, TikTok gets its first inkling that perhaps the new user is feeling down lately. Whoever comes,
15: let them come. Whoever stays, let them stay. Whoever goes, let them go. The
13: information contained in this single video provided the app with important clues. The author of the video, the audio track, The video description, the hashtags. After Kentucky 96's first sad video, TikTok serves another one 23 videos later, or after about four more minutes of watching.
10: I'll leave you alone from now on if that's what you want.
13: This one is a breakup video with the hashtag sad.
4: You know why I leave you alone? Because I care about your feelings more than mine.
13: TikTok's still trying to suss out this new user with more high view count videos. Does the new user want to watch videos about friendship? Or to laugh at funny fail videos? Nobody's
6: gonna know. They're gonna know.
13: Or do they like videos about home repairs? other information from your phone, including location, can impact the videos that are shown in a
5: user's feed. As a Kentuckian, I never thought I'd lose my freedom over a virus.
13: For instance, Kentucky 96 saw lots about Kentucky, but whether or not it keeps showing you that type of video depends on your response to it. A TikTok spokeswoman said the app does not listen to your microphone or read text messages to serve you personalized videos. At video 57, Kentucky 96 keeps watching a video about heartbreak and hurt feelings. And then at video 60, watches one about emotional pain. Based on the videos rewatched so far, TikTok thinks that maybe this user wants to see more about love, breakups, and dating. So at about 80 videos and 15 minutes in, the app starts serving more about relationships. But Kentucky 96 isn't interested.
4: Your voice, your smile, your eyes, your laugh.
13: The user instead pauses on one about mental health. Then quickly swipes past videos about missing an ex. I miss you and I like having you around. Advice about moving on and how to hold a lover's interest.
10: He spends more time on his phone when he's around you.
13: Kentucky 96 lingers over this video containing the hashtag depression.
16: Something's wrong with me.
13: And these videos about suffering from anxiety.
18: It's like a reward.
13: After 224 videos into the bot's overall journey, or about 36 minutes of total watch time, TikTok's understanding of Kentucky 96 takes shape. Videos about depression and mental health struggles outnumber those about relationships and breakups. From here on, Kentucky 96's feed is a deluge of depressive content. 93% of videos shown to the account are about sadness or depression.
0: People been looking at me, I'm just like, what you looking at?
13: A TikTok spokeswoman said that some of the remaining 7% of videos are to help the user discover different content. But for Kentucky 96, such videos were few and far between. The majority of videos it was shown outside of its depressive rabbit hole were ads. A TikTok spokeswoman said that the simulated activity generated by the Wall Street Journal's bots is not representative of real user behavior because humans have a diverse set of interests. But even some of our accounts with diverse interests rabbit hole. We showed our data and many of the videos seen by Kentucky 96 to Shazlo.
17: What we see on TikTok is a bit the same that what we saw on YouTube. So basically the algorithm is detecting that this depressing content is useful to create engagement and pushes depressing content. So the algorithm is pushing people towards more and more extreme content so it can push them toward more and more uh, watch time.
13: TikTok also says it allows you to see less of something by selecting the not interested button. But Chaslow says that's not enough.
17: The algorithm is able to find the piece of content that you're vulnerable to, that will make you click, that will make you watch. But it doesn't mean you really like it and that's the content that you enjoy the most. It's just the content that's most likely to make you stay on the platform.
13: Our bots only escaped rabbit holes when we changed their viewing interests. When we told one bot to stop watching videos about ADHD, the algorithm cut back on that content. Still, many of the journal's bots were rapidly pushed deep into rabbit holes. TikTok learned our bots' most far-flung interests, like astrology. But even bots with general, mainstream interests got pushed to the margins as their recommendations got more personalized and narrow. Bots with an interest in sexual content wound up way out here, watching hashtag Tok videos about sexual power Daddy. dynamics, and are bot with a general interest in politics, wound up being served videos about election conspiracies and QAnon.
16: Yeah,
2: the
13: Deep in the niche worlds of TikTok, users are more likely to encounter potentially harmful content, that is less vetted by moderators and violates the app's terms of service. Make them angry and sad. They would be so much happier without you. A TikTok spokeswoman said that the company catches a lot of banned content, which passes through both computer analysis and human moderators. It also reviews videos reported by users.
2: Don't tell them goodbye. Just go.
16: It's night, night time. <laughs>
13: There's a lot of fun, silly, and life-affirming content on TikTok. But while TikTok can draw out what makes you laugh, you it can also make you wallow in your darkest thoughts. Turning the pain from mental to physical work. Without ever needing to eavesdrop on you or collect any personal
2: information about you. I've never attempted suicide or anything. I've never let it get
16: that far.
17: Whether it's on TikTok, on Facebook, on YouTube, we're interacting with algorithm. Uh, in our everyday life more and more we are training them and they are training us uh, so we have to study this so we understand it better and we don't let it go in directions that are harmful to society or to certain groups of people
0: so that was very enlightening a uh, couple more video tips and then we'll ask our reactors to uh, to to comment
19: Kids think they're playing a game.
20: Teenagers are not thinking about the harm they could cause.
19: To them, it's not a real world.
20: It's something that makes you feel powerful.
19: It's an entry point for budding hackers. Crime groups are giving those kids everything they need to be successful within their organization, while the parents have no idea what's going on.
7: My son started hacking at the age of eight, and that's when he ordered a gun. He started to spend a lot of time behind the computer, and he started ordering things on the internet without paying, first like pizzas, but then also bigger things. And later on, he ordered a gun that was actually delivered to our home. It was quite difficult for me to understand what was going on.
19: I mentor kids who have been identified as potential cybercriminals. A lot of the kids that I've dealt with come from the same backgrounds those kids run a huge risk of falling into that trap of being groomed and becoming cyber criminals. Because a lot of the tools, kids have learned how to use through gaming.
5: Online gaming and hacking, they are linked in some really intrinsic ways. You want to try to figure out if you can generate some kind of advantage or identify some kind of vulnerability in a system that will increase the coins or the currency that you have. There's motivation between generating some kind of advantage in the game and being able to hack.
7: he had have a job on the site gaming where he would game on certain accounts. He would keep the levels high, and then the person that owned the account could play during the weekends at a very high level.
20: One of the reasons that so many hackers are children is because hacking is fun. If you've ever gotten into some place you shouldn't have, whether you're trespassing, those little bits of mischief would be really entertaining, especially when your peers are also in on it with you.
7: Online, there are several challenges to use your IT skills amongst certain internet forums. I think he spent a month trying to figure out how to order the gun and to get it delivered to our home. Poland to Bulgaria, and then you can make sure it passes through the customs without being checked. He opened it, and he was really, really excited that he managed to get the gun delivered to our home. I was completely shocked. <laughs> I immediately decided to do things differently at home.
19: Organized crime, just by watching them in the games, they're able to identify these kids who have that capability, that knowledge. The first thing is gain trust, find things about them that they enjoy. So once you gain that information and gain that trust, then you move on to, well, can you do this? Have you seen this? Those children that usually are into the technology and the gaming are usually not the in crowd in school. Once they find somebody that's groomable, then they bring them into their fold, make them one of them and, and make them feel important. Once they get that trust, they open up that line of communication then the goal is to isolate that person from anything that would deter them from being groomed.
7: He started to wake up at night, uh, to sit behind the computer, and he was really, really stressed. And that's when uh, we find out that he was working with a group of international hackers.
14: Hacking has kind of a, a mythical aura to it. It has a bit of a cool factor. That is, of course, also due to a lot of series and movies, how hackers are being portrayed. That actually attracts a lot of young people that might want to prove their ego or boost their ego, might want to acquire maybe some bragging rights. I think that's just something that comes with it.
20: The need for social acceptance becomes really, really strong. And so if that community is up to hacking, going in places they really shouldn't, and transgressing beyond normal teenage mischief. A lot of teens will go along.
7: It seemed that he was hiding quite a lot of the information and he was even using a code word. So each time I would enter the room, you would say, hey, Pitt is joining us. In the end, I figured out that that's a code word they use when a parrot is in the room, so they change the screens.
19: Cybercrime groups know uh, the law, they know the law. It's a lot of work for organized crime group to groom kids, but it's safe for them, because they can have the child commit the crime, and they walk away with clean hands.
7: One of the things that children are asked to do by criminals is to use IP address, or perhaps use a bank account. Money laundering fire children. It could be hidden buying and selling items within games. And for children, it's often not really visible
20: what the crime is. A lot of young hackers are hitting really big targets. They're hitting government targets, they're hitting banks. A lot of times it's because they're being prompted to do so by other people in their social network, people who are typically older, and using these kids as a way to get their own goals met without having to put their skin on the line, so to speak.
19: The kid that I'm working with right now uh, that just got out of prison for hacking TalkTalk, Talk. he started out gaming, and that graduated to hitting an entire telecom.
20: Teenagers are not thinking about the harm they could cause. Um, there was a story of a teenage hacker. He broke into this bank and circumvented their systems, showed it to his friends, and thought it was the funniest thing ever. And then the FBI showed up at his door And that was not something that he had ever thought could possibly happen because to him, this was a prank. This was harmless fun.
7: It's so easy these days because a lot of kids have laptops, mobile phones, and basically you can do a hack with a few clicks. It's quite a big issue to prevent young people from hacking. They often don't know what's legal and what's illegal.
20: Children and teenagers are amazing. Their brains are just developing rapidly and their ability to learn new things and adapt is really amazing to watch however there are parts of the brain that they literally lack and those parts are related to things like anticipating consequences this is just a, a neurological state that it has not developed as part of their brain yet
7: I spoke to the police, but they all said, well, it's not really possible for a child to do anything like that. So you may be perhaps exaggerating the story. So I trained myself into cybersecurity, and I now like to use some of the knowledge and the experience to help others.
19: There's a lot that we can do as an industry and as a civilization to protect kids. Giving the kids a second chance and taking that knowledge and that experience and trying to put it to good use. I think opportunity really opens the doors to reformation. Not only will it help us protect the internet and protect our future, but also gives that kid a future.
7: When I talk to parents or do workshops, most people are quite grateful to get some insight and to get some suggestions. I think you more, you know, about hacking and online behavior the easier it is to set limits. So
0: there are many different ways that are really unique about how this internet system really is a complex adaptive system, which we'll come back to if we have time during our live presentation. For those of you on the podcast, we'll go through the definition of what a complex adaptive system is. However, it is a system where there are many different nodes that are interacting mutating, adjusting, evolving, and we're seeing that in social media, especially as it relates uh, to kids. So as we talk about now, what can we do to tackle this issue? We talk about the four Ps, getting left of boom, and moving from defense to offense. And there is no better illustration of what we're hearing from the social media country, companies then what's happened in big tobacco, global warming, and a number of different areas, and so there are a couple of documentaries that are very fascinating. Uh, as you listen to the longer three-hour session of the hearing on protecting our children online, you'll hear Zuckerberg say, "Well, the science there's no consensus on the science, or there's not agreement on the science," citing a. Uh, a report from the National Academy of Medicine, formerly the IOM, Uh, I had the privilege for a decade of actually serving on the President's Circle of the National Academy of Sciences and also as an Editor-in-Chief of a global journal, I always would say one thing, and that is uh, the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. And so the study that he referred to is based on literature searches, and if there isn't funding for research to be able to do research on these harms, you're not going to find it in the medical research, and this gives them an incredible out, and so also as a former cancer doctor subspecializing in lung cancer, uh, I dealt with the, the critical issue uh, of the fact that we could not get uh, studies published regarding the cause of of cancer uh, 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 by smoking, and so we'll show just the 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 last clip here. We'll show before we kind of go to our uh, go to our audiences uh, really to uh, uh, address uh, this uh, this issue of um, uh, of uh, uh, these examples of how the defense of delay deny and uh, distract has been so powerfully used by those that are making money at our at our, at our heart.
14: My name is Victor Dinoble, I'm a scientist. The story I'm about to tell you it begins 29 years ago. I got a phone call from a guy named Bill Dunn. He said, I have a job for you. He said, I work for Philip Morris and we make cigarettes. We got a problem. 138,000 people will have heart attacks and brain strokes every year caused by nicotine you guys make a product that you know kills people? He said, no, 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 we don't kill anybody. Nicotine does. But we have a program.
19: Philip Morris recognized that it was in their interest to find products that killed less people. Dead people don't buy cigarettes.
1: To
14: a scientist, that's a dream. You get to do a job that actually might make a difference. I proposed a design to the company, a cigarette that had tobacco but no nicotine. Our drug would be in there, but no heart disease. But there was a catch.
19: They were also doing research to make more addictive products. When the two worlds collided, less harmful or more addictive, they chose more addictive.
14: When you go to work for Philip Morris, you sign a secrecy agreement for the rest of your life. You're not allowed to divulge what you did there.
15: Imagine 50 years of the secrets of an industry It had kept secrets better than any industry.
14: If I resisted these guys, they could ruin my career. But if I didn't resist them, what's my career
19: worth?
0: Victor DeNoble was the first whistleblower.
19: It was nothing like we'd ever seen. It's a huge story, huge, huge, huge.
15: It changed the debate on tobacco, and it opened the floodgates of
10: attacks on the tobacco industry. They came to our houses set up surveillance, took photographs of me in front of my my front lawn playing with my kids.
14: They both unbuttoned their jackets. I could see a holster. My heart just stopped. They weren't interested in science. They were interested in threatening me. There were TV media people everywhere. There was no turning back. But it was not going
15: to stop the tidal wave that was about to hit the tobacco industry.
19: I believe nicotine is not
16: addictive. I believe nicotine is not addictive. I believe nicotine is not addictive. I believe that nicotine is not addictive. I believe that nicotine is not addictive.
15: The movie,
18: Merchants of Doubt, is based on the book by Naomi Oreskes and Eric Conway.
16: A key part of the strategy from the very beginning is to undermine the idea of scientific consensus. And one of the things they discovered in their own market research was that if you can persuade people that there's no scientific consensus, then people will think that it would be premature to act. So it's a very, very powerful strategy that we know works. And this is why you hear them saying as a kind of mantra, there's no consensus, the science isn't settled. We have experts who don't agree. Um, There's still a lot of uncertainty. There's considerable uncertainty. You You hear this phrase, considerable uncertainty, repeated over and over again.
18: Science historian Naomi Oreskes authored a high-profile paper detailing the overwhelming scientific consensus on human-caused
15: climate change.
16: So the paper essentially just says that if you look at what scientific experts have to say on the subject of whether or not climate change is underway and whether it's mostly caused by human activities, the scientific community is clear, the answer to that question is yes. And so the paper was simply just saying that, that's it, that was the whole thing, nothing more yes, this is what scientists have to say.
15: What was the response to the paper after it came out?
16: Uh, Well, that's when I started getting attacked. Why at this
18: late date are the heads of social media platforms still denying their platforms' roles in causing the teen mental health crisis? This week, Meta's Mark Zuckerberg was one of five tech leaders to testify at a Senate hearing about the protection of children from online sexual exploitation. In a dramatic moment, Zuckerberg turned to face and apologize to dozens of parents holding up photos of their teens whose deaths they blamed on social media. But in a prepared statement, he still maintained that his platforms, Facebook and Instagram, did not bear any direct responsibility.
6: With so much of our lives spent on mobile devices and social media, it's important to look into the effects on teen mental health and well-being. I take this very seriously. Mental health is a complex issue, and the existing body of scientific work has not shown a causal link between using social media and young people having worse mental health outcomes.
18: In response, GOP Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri quoted the company's own in-house study that had been leaked by whistleblower Francis Haugen to the Wall Street Journal, but Zuckerberg didn't budge from his position.
4: Here's a quote from your own study. Quote, we make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. Here's another quote. Teens blamed Instagram. This is your study for increases in the rate of anxiety and depression. This reaction was unprompted and consistent across all groups. That's your study.
6: Senator, we try to under- understand the uh, the feedback and, and how people feel about the services. We can improve them. Wait a minute. Your, own, da- your are- own
4: study says that you make...
6: Life worse for one in
4: three teenage girls. You increase no, Senator, anxiety and depression. Says. That's what it says. And you're here testifying yes. to us in public that there's no link. You've been doing this for years. Full speed ahead. While internally, you know full well your product is a disaster for teenagers.
18: Jean Twangy joins me now. She's the author of iGen and Generations and a professor of psychology at San Diego State University. Dr. Twangy, great to have you back. I remember when we first spoke when iGen came out in 2017. We had the dialogue on my radio show and here. Then you were hesitant to use the word causation. You spoke more in terms of correlation. What has changed
9: since your book came out? Yeah, so that was in 2017. And since then, we have seen a lot more studies. So Zuckerberg's statement, about not knowing about causation is simply wrong at this point. There are many studies showing that there is a causal link. So these are done like drug trials. There's treatment group and a control group and it's random who ends up in which one. And a treatment group, you give up social media or cut back on social media versus the control group continuing normal use. And those who have cut back or given up social media after two or three weeks are happier and less depressed and there's also specific studies on Instagram. You show teen girls and young women those perfect bodies on Instagram, the influencers and they have worse body image after seeing that compared to a control group. You're part of
18: a very important collaboration. I'm gonna put it on the screen and and have you explain what this is. It's yourself, it's Jonathan Haidt. By the way, I finished last night his new forthcoming book directly on this subject. It's tremendous. And Zach Rausch. What is it that the three of you have done? What am I showing the world now in this
9: collaborative Google Doc? Yeah, so a few years ago, we put our heads together and decided, you know, We need to compile all the research in this area, that experimental research I mentioned, as well as the correlational research on tens of thousands of teens in many countries know that the more hours a day a teen spends on social media, the more likely it is that they're going to be depressed. Um, There's also longitudinal studies there, following people over time. Uh, Plus, we have another Google Doc on the teen mental health crisis. That for example, teen depression doubled between 2011 and 2019, so it's not due to the pandemic. This increase started eight years before the pandemic, probably not a coincidence, right at the time that social media started to become much more commonly used among teens. Also around the time Facebook bought Instagram and smartphones started to have front facing cameras. So these image-based sites became so much more popular. You know that some say, hey, it's COVID, it's the economy,
18: it's climate change, it's school shootings. So you, Dr. Twangy, a year ago published, I'll put this up on the screen, you, you published an analysis of 13 other possible explanations. And then with data, you ruled them all out, although there's one that's tantalizing. Uh, That's alternative number six. I'm putting that up on the screen right now. That's the, it's because children and teens have less independence. Of the 13 that get bandied about, this one you thought might have some merit, and I guess you actually read these together. A different parenting style and the age of technology. Explain.
9: Yeah, and first I, I, I wanna point out that one reason a lot of those other 12 explanations fail is that they're focused just on the US things like you know the political climate or school shootings but it turns out that that increase in depression and loneliness among teens is worldwide it shows up in international data country after country very little happens until 2012 and then depression and anxiety and loneliness go through the roots so that explanation around independence it's true that teens now compared to previous generations less likely to get their driver's license by the end of high school they're less likely to date they're less likely to have a paid job they go out without their parents a lot less than previous generations did when they were in high school this is how gen z lives and it's not just about a parenting style this is a huge cultural trend across all ages that we just simply take longer to grow up and longer to grow all. It's called the slow-life okay. strategy. So take my, final, yep.
18: take my final 30 seconds, go back to where we began. Why doesn't Zuckerberg get it? Surely he knows your book. Your book's the seminal book on the subject. Surely he has seen what you and, and Height have put together and the Google Doc and the collaboration. Why, why does he stand that ground?
9: Because this is their business. This is how they make money. If they decided, if Zuckerberg decided, okay, I want to keep kids safe, we're going to raise the minimum age for being on Instagram to 16 and actually verify age. They know what will happen. All of their young users will go to TikTok and other platforms. And they make an enormous amount of money off of teens even off of the 12 and under kids who aren't supposed to be on there at all under the law they are making money on our kids time and attention and on the backs of their mental health
0: so that is very uh interesting to see that uh, the data is there we'd like to go to our Uh, reactor uh, group uh, now, and we'd like to ask David uh, Grinsfelder uh, to, um, uh, to kind of address uh, this from the, the, uh, you mentor young youth and know a lot of youth and you're a young adult and in that category of those uh, digital natives. Uh, David, what are your thoughts?
15: Thanks so much, Dr. Denham, for having me today. Um, I mean, it's some of those videos are so jarring. I've got two younger brothers, uh, one of whom is still in high school and just watching them and learning about what these executives at, at companies running social media platforms are doing or not doing in order to prevent this problem is it's really shocking. I mean, these issues, if you think about it, child safety online, mental health issues related to social media, they're they're imminent. They are ubiquitous, and they're they're scaling upward, right? They're becoming more prevalent, not less prevalent, as technology becomes more widespread. So, it seems like intuitively, kids are in so much more danger now, and that's only going to be, become worse in the future. And the solutions, I think, are right in front of us. But it just it's to me un, it's it's confusing why we don't have the answers in place and why we're not doing more to resolve this problem.
0: And this issue of uh, AI is something that is so exciting on one hand, but as Chief Adcox uh, will share in our longer version, uh, law enforcement has decided that we actually have to have better AI than they have, and they've got pretty good AI.
15: Yeah, it seems like this is part of the issue, right, is that it's it's more difficult to implement safety mechanisms because the other side of the the battle is always going to be a step ahead. So how do you how do you kind of beat these people who are have become experts at AI and generative AI at their own game?
0: Right, right. I'd like to go to uh, Perry Bechtel and ask Perry. Uh, Perry, uh, uh, you've been with us for some time, working in our med tech uh, area and bystander rescue care, bullying cyber issues, and, and these issues have been uh, kind of important to us to focus on. However, we've been so um, working so hard on CPR and Heimlich maneuver and opioid overdose and that kind of thing. It's kind of shocking to see the magnitude of this problem uh, uh, today. Perry, do you want to comment?
21: Absolutely. I think David summed it up really well. But one thing i like to add is that I think while the, the online approach and the addressing the online issues, it's a very complex issue. It's definitely, there's some pretty obvious evidence and things need to be done. Um, exactly how it will be done. That's, again, going to be a kind of a legal issue. But I think one thing that we can kind of take action now is help bringing kids away from the online environment. Because kids that are only focused on the online environment are really so caught up in it that once you take a step back, it really makes you realize like, oh, wait, that's just online. Um, If you still have kind of a life and hobbies and things outside of the online environment, you realize that the online environment is fake. You might not become so immersed in it. And so I think one of the actions that we can take is kind of bringing kids Into back into the real world and kind of showing them that whatever happens online isn't your entire world. There are things outside, and that really, I think, will help address some of the critical issues that were talked about in the video. I know it's not kind of exactly the strategy discussed, but I think it's something that a lot of people overlook and that we can kind of have a big part in drawing kids back into the real world to help kind of reduce some of these issues just due to exposure and things like that.
0: Uh, Randy Steiner is Director of Emergency Preparedness at University of California, Irvine. In our last webinar, Randy, and you spoke so articulately, we addressed sextortion, uh, the sexual predators and how kids actually sharing images between each other uh are are now being charged with felonies, have no idea what the laws are uh about uh, about sharing uh, photos back and forth and and that kind of thing, which we haven 't addressed today because we covered it in our last webinar, and we remind our our audience uh, uh to go and look at that uh, and the reason is is that uh, there are a number of suicides that have happened in kids. Because uh, predators will uh, will will lure them into believing that they're they're exchanging communication with somebody of the opposite sex, who then shows a picture, sends a picture, then they send a picture, and then they immediately uh, try to ransom them. And the kids are so shamed that we we shared uh, uh, three episodes of of um, of suicide of young people that could not. Uh, handle uh, this issue and so randy uh your thoughts regarding uh what you saw today and maybe just connect it back to some of these issues that our young people are totally unaware of the risks and threats that they have when they're underage or they're they don't know what the age is of the
5: person of the opposite sex and uh it's just shocking yeah well you know it's it, we go back to you know the unintended consequence of of COVID and the lockdowns, which, you know, had to occur based on the virus, but the unintended consequence was that uh, a a huge group, millions and millions of of young people in this country, many of them small children, the internet became their only social outlet. So in that period, these kids were drawn into that environment, which has now become ingrained into them. And I agree with Perry, you know, getting out of that environment, go outside and ride a bike, you know, that's a, a big thing, but it's a lot more difficult than that because their entire social structure is tied into this, you know, the social environment that exists online. And let's be perfectly clear, these companies that have the platforms where these, these social interactions occur, their only objective is to make money. That's it. And they do that by getting data. And they do that by selling data. And they do whatever it takes to get that data from all of us who are online, including our children. And they don't care about safety. They've made that very clear. The 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 Senate hearings that we're having to, we, I, I was watched intently while they're going on and you showed, that's great. That's window dressing, Chuck. Unless there's legislation that is gonna back up, it's great to get in front of the cameras and be outraged as a Senator and say, oh, I'm so outraged on this. I don't buy that. You put up legislation to stop the problem. And we've got senators saying, oh, your company is preventing us from legislating this and creating this legislation. That's completely disingenuous. I don't know anything in the constitution that says that we have to get the approval of companies before we can pass legislation in Congress. It is a complete lack of backbone in our leaders to address this. And it's also a matter of campaign funding and finances and donations and every and lobbying. They said it right there that, oh, we can't do it because you've got lobbyists. Last time I heard Senate senators can get together and congressmen can get together and pass legislation regardless of campaign finances. So I don't buy that. You know, and it look you know, and when you look at the, you know, to the to parent things, when these when these Senate hearings occurred, you know, I saw a lot of the comments online and there was a big wave of, you know, well, what about parental, uh, you know, why you know parental uh at, you know, watching what your, your children are doing and parental responsibility on that. And that's great. If you're willing to stand behind your child 24 seven every day while they're online, you may be able to, uh, to find that out, but you know, find out exactly what they're doing. But if you say, oh, I've got this device or I've got this program, let me monitor my child and what they're doing online. You show me that device, I will show you someplace on Discord what will tell you how to defeat that device. And that's where these children are, that's where, where, where they're learning this stuff. Saying this parental notification, without doubt, parental, you know, taking care of our kids and parental responsibility is a huge thing and protecting our children. But we are given none of the tools, not from the companies that are are making this possible for these kids to not only become victims but to be criminals whether they know it or not and not from the the people who are legislating the laws because they have no spine to go after these companies and hold them accountable every one of those companies every one of those ceos that was at that hearing they have child porn on their sites they are in possession of child porn does the fbi care about that does you know, do they have any resources to actually go after these companies because they are in possession of these child born or they're uh, facilitating the distribution of that child born? It's not happening. I don't see that happening. So, you know, there's got to be more done. There's got to be backstops. And these companies have to be held accountable for what's going on on their sites. And until our Congress gets the intestinal fortitude to stand up and to make this stuff happen, it's not going to change chuck and we as parents are helpless to protect our children from them they're the the companies are they're they're not only housing the predators but they are predators themselves
0: well, Randy, thank you for your comments, and thank you. Uh, we want to draw everybody's attention to the scenarios we covered last month, which we'll come back to. That are so tragic of uh, good kids that are that are. These are not uh, borderline kids. These are good kids that are good academic, good in academics and athletics, and 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 seeming healthy, you know, American kids who are committing suicide because of the shame uh, and being uh, taken advantage of by this. John, John Nance, uh, you have been such a, a steadfast supporter of patient safety, public safety, and we really think that you could have an enormous impact on the boards of directors who trust you and believe in you and believe that you give them good advice. Uh, don't we have a great opportunity for, with our medical centers and our public health leaders in the communities? Where are they? Like, we need to get them enlisted and power them up. They have the financial resources. They have the connections. They have the outreach. They're community leaders. They're the biggest employer in any of the communities. John, don't you think that we could really get uh, get to some of these boards and get them, if they were educated, to get them activated?
10: They uh, Yes, I agree with you entirely. Uh, One of the problems we have is a societal problem. And let me be very frank about this. If we can't get people on the same page with what the truth really is about what's happening in terms of the threats uh, to kids and the threats that you have have, uh, very aptly shown by this series of videos, then we can't get a consensus to actually move forward. As long as we've got companies and people who can say, well, the the uh, situation is uncertain. The science is uncertain. We're going to have a continuation of the same nonsense from the tobacco industry, the same nonsense from, on global warming. That, as you know, I've been uh, a part of that uh, course for many, many years, that had been done a book in 1990 on uh, what goes up. Uh, and watching these people come in and say, well, the science is uncertain. Well, the science isn't uncertain. What's uncertain is how we're going to be able to deal with it in terms of this particular threat using this emerging electronic medium. Uh, and uh, Randy is absolutely correct. The, one of the fallouts of COVID was that uh, uh, our kids immediately went into the computers and that became their social outlet. So it's a matter of understanding where we really are before we can get people motivated to go in the right direction. And we've got to stop listening to the big lie, whoever puts it on. Oh, by the way, one other thing, we've got to stop letting companies incorporate. I'm, as a lawyer, I've incorporated many of them. Uh, When you go to the purpose line, it's the same in all 50 states. To do uh, whatever, let's see, basically it's language like this. Uh, the, The purpose is to make money by any legal means. That doesn't leave any room for societal responsibility.
0: John, thank you so much, and I think that you there, you are such a voice to our leaders in public health, public safety, uh, and on our medical centers. And our audiences continue to expand from medical centers to those, and we're just so grateful uh, that you will uh, help us get that message out. Um, uh, what we're going to do is is let's let's address what we you know what we know can be done, but what we've been working with over more than a decade now are prevention preparedness, protection and performance improvement. This is a way to focus on safety issues. Uh, And we know that our safety net is frayed. We know that people are falling through them in our public health environment. We really need to call on our public health um, organizations, our public health schools. Uh, I had the privilege of being faculty at uh, the, the Harvard School of Public Health, a great school of public health and we need to be able to get all of them fired up to get what we call left of boom meaning that we need to move upstream from just when the bad thing happens we're going to try to help rescue somebody or we're going to deal with the harm um you know you, you can't do much after somebody's committed suicide other than help the family we've got to move upstream and focus on on uh on preparedness and primary and secondary prevention primary meaning that it doesn't happen at all, and secondary that the harm is reduced by that. So there are inside threats and outside threats. Uh, No question that we've got some terrible threats and vulnerabilities of our family and our kids. And then we have these outside threats of the the predators that take advantage of those inside vulnerabilities. So we'll cover this in more detail in our next webinar, which will be part two. Uh, But uh let's let's t- talk about what what parents can do and uh think about what uh uh is there is are there some uh opportunities here and we'll show um uh just a uh, uh, a couple of short uh, short clips uh regarding um uh what uh what can be done or what we would like to be able to do uh to
10: address this
5: of high school students admit to feeling hopeless for weeks at a time. Mental health experts say time spent on social media is a key reason. Addictive habits such as doom scrolling, disturbing content can deepen their feelings of depression. Medical reporter Lori Johnson explains how parents can help their teens avoid the dangers of social media.
22: New research shows teen mental health problems like depression, anxiety, and even thoughts of suicide grow with increasing time spent on social media. For too many, it's become an addiction, as nearly half of teenagers report being almost constantly online, including social media.
5: It was developed by people in Silicon Valley who understand addictions, and they were created be addictive. They want more brain time because more brain time means more money for these very wealthy companies.
22: This desire of social media companies to want consumers to spend more time on their platforms happens even though they know in some cases that can be damaging. Facebook knows that they are are leading
8: young users to anorexia.
22: For example, a Facebook whistleblower testified at a Senate hearing the company hides its own research showing their platforms can erode many aspects of a teenager's well-being.
8: When Facebook is directly asked questions as important as how do you impact the health and safety of our children, uh, they choose to mislead and misdirect.
22: Experts blame social media overuse for many of the psychological
8: challenges kids face today. It's definitely becoming one of the big, big issue that mental health clinicians are seeing. Too many teens feel bad
22: about themselves compared to others on social media who seem to be a lot
8: happier and better looking, when in reality, they are neither. I think body image is one of the major places, you know, that we're starting to see some real, you know, impact, um, especially with all of the filtering that has been happening and all the apps that you can now use to, you know, make yourself look like a completely different person. Cyberbullying is another major source of teen angst the cancel culture of if you do something that someone feels is skewed or, you know, incorrect, that you are pretty much bullied and ostracized.
22: Then there's doom scrolling, compulsively seeking out disturbing content that deepens feelings of fear, depression, and hopelessness.
8: You're on your phone, you're scrolling, you feel awful, and you're kind of looking for more that kind of confirms that feeling. So you are just kind of going down this dark hole, literally, um, on social media. You don't even realize you're doing it, Uh, and it leaves you in a pretty icky, doom-like mental state um, where nothing feels good, and it's pretty scary.
22: While it can be hard for young people to cut back on their time spent on social media, research shows it can help kids feel better. In one such study, teenage girls who cut their use by half for just a few weeks reported significantly improved mental health. Parents can help their kids cut back by first setting a good example. One of the reasons why our our generation right now our young generation feels so isolated and so hopeless is because as they were growing up, our eyes were not on them. Our eyes were on our own phones. Experts recommend drawing boundaries about what your child can do online and for how long. Your kids won't like it and that's okay. Parental control apps like Bark and Net Nanny can help enforce these rules.
4: So harmful content is identified, and blocked, and this is very important, in real time. And parents are provided insight into their children's digital behavior.
22: Experts recommend parents agree with parents of their kids' friends to the same limits, then use that newfound time with in-person gatherings. We're making sure that they're getting together. They're having that face-to-face. They're not feeling isolated because they're still in real, authentic relationships. You know, what we had when we grew up. So while most experts say social media isn't all bad for teens, it's best consumed in small doses, offset by plenty of in-person socialization.
0: So let's move to uh, some of the things that are being done and that are opportunities for improvement. Why act? Why act now? Why us? Tell us how long you want to wait. We'll tell you how many lives will be lost, or how many you want to lose, and we'll tell you how long to wait the numbers are staggering. We're we're in a race against the clock. And unless we act, we will be either counting saves or graves. So what can be done? Well, we recommend, and we're putting this together, a community of practice. We've led and built communities of practice of groups that uh, learn together. And we're reaching out right now to the social media companies to get involved. Every stakeholder should be involved. Parents, educators, public health leaders, uh, caregivers, uh, our audience has traditionally been caregivers, but in also get, engage these companies to give them a chance to get out of playing defense and play big tobacco and, let, and get them to play offense. They've got a network. So some of the best material that we found in researching what can be done is with the World Economic Forum. I had the privilege in the mid nineties to be a speaker and advisor in the healthcare division of the World Economic Forum in Davos. And uh, had a gr- it was a great opportunity to meet with leaders. When uh, I had a little boy, a miracle. I decided I'm going to cut down the travel, and I-, I no longer do it. But I will tell you that they've assembled some very very good content that we're going to cover in our next um, in our next webinar. We're going to address a type uh, a typology that they have developed and that others are developing because what we really need to do is classify them. And I'm a cancer doctor, classify the categories of harm that everybody can agree to the way we did with the leapfrog group on patient safety harm and be able to start tackling it knowing that it won't be a perfect framework but that we will be able to start get moving and play offense rather than just pushing tech companies into the corner and yelling that they're the only victim because or the only villain because Uh, we're all we all have a role in this one of the things that we're doing we're so grateful to have the leaders that you hear before you today helping us with is safety of rising freshmen rising freshmen to high school rising freshmen to college we did we put a we tested the concept of would people be interested in this in august 17th webinar in 2023 and got great reviews we focused uh, using the cdc data on universities and said look um, what are the causes of, de- of uh, unintentional death compared 2016 to 2020 in the CDC data? And you can see in this graphic, an enormous focus on uh, opioid overdose, motor vehicle accidents, uh, drowning, falls, uh, but suicide is it is an enormous and growing problem. Well, when we look at rising freshmen, be they a rising freshman to high school or a rising freshman to college, the online issue is critical, and there's a great opportunity there. So what we've done is, is we took the checklist that we developed in August, and we're so grateful some of the speakers are with us today, and we've actually added to the checklist that we created for high school freshmen and, and college freshmen to be able to focus on this. Uh, it turns out that college students, one in three college students, have had an offensive sexual uh, 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 exposure by the time that they get to college that they relate to to being a bad experience, and so that's one in three of our college students. So as we look at the college, a uh, college freshman, uh, we really can add to that online predator risks. Uh, the suicide and, and rescue uh, 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 issues are critical. It's critical that we look at the sextortion. This is where uh, uh, a young man or a young lady is uh, is coaxed uh, into sharing an image. And the next thing you know, uh, they have to pay $500, $1,000, $1,500, or it'll be shared with the, their family and friends. They literally create a collage of the of all the all of the person's contacts that they're going to share uh, them uh, uh, too. So um, these are really really critical issues. What we think are very important. I'd like to kind of go back through our reactors now to close and and start with David Grinsfelder. Um, uh, now that you look back, you've got younger brothers. Uh, this this issue of focusing. You know what can we do? We can't throw up our hands and say, oh well, the legislators are going to have to fix this, and we're all a bunch of helpless victims. We all know kids. We all know families. We all know freshmen going into high school. We know freshmen going into college. We really thank you for helping us with this program. Any any thoughts that you might have? And this is something anybody can start. It doesn't cost any money.
15: No, not at all. And I I, I think it's a shame that people throw away their agency so quickly, right? And they throw their hands up and say that, you now it's something that's in the hands of the legislators and and we have, we're powerless to stop it. I mean, I'm fortunate that I grew up in a household with parents who were, were really involved and were really cognizant of some of these threats well before anybody was talking about it. So I mean the, it really begins with the parents, right? I mean, as much as we'd like to say that kids can can police themselves, we know that's just not true, and kids are vulnerable. But I think creating communities that can share best practices, Right. I know my mom for many years was part of a, it was she's part of a mother's group. It was an informal local gathering, but they got together and figured out best ways to keep their kids safe, both in the community, but also online as that became more prevalent while I was growing up. So I think maintaining our agency and inclu- including others in our decision making and, and really leveraging the best practices of the community is the only way to do this on a day by day basis.
0: You know, I'm so glad you brought up the moms. We and Charlie, my son is a competitive surfer. I'm right now on the North Shore of Oahu at the World Surf League uh, Competition Championship. And we talk about the Grom moms. Groms are kids that are surfers and the moms. And uh, we're getting them together to focus on uh, drowning and fin cuts and uh, the things that can happen to them uh, that way. I think it's great that you brought that up, that the, the parents actually can kind of band together to focus. Perry, your thoughts?
21: Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, in addition to what David was saying, I think there's definitely a role in the parents, but I think also just spreading this information with the kids. I think kids being, especially in that age group, maybe that preteen, them being aware of the issues, them being cognizant of what may happen, these stories that have happened, I think will make the kids, again, they won't, maybe it's not, you can't put this all on the kids, but I think just the kids being aware is really important in allowing them to kind of just know what's out there, know what might happen, and then be a little more alert. Um, as well as just a little more aware of when they feel themselves scrolling, be like, oh, wait, maybe I'm doom scrolling. Just kind of giving that self-awareness back to the kids and allowing them to kind of play a bigger part in um, kind of addressing this issue.
0: Great, great thought. I think the education of the
5: kids so critical. Randy, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, you know the I think there needs to be more resources out there you know we used to have this thing back in the uh back in the 80s uh, the was called scared straight which was a program that they put kids in you know when when they were getting into trouble getting busted shoplifting or doing that kind of things you know prior the types of things kids did before computers came out they take them to the prisons and they the inmates would yell at them and they talk to people who'd actually gotten in these situations from those situations something like that needs to be you know addressed because there are you know i don't think that there's a lot of a lot of kids and it's starting very young and i I hate to use the word kids you know young adults are having the same problem that you know they're getting themselves into trouble and they're getting going down these rabbit holes that are leading to very serious trouble that they don't really understand and that they can't really get out of you know the, the the video you showed about the hacking it's you know oh yeah that's just fun you know that's something that makes me cool you know that's that's part of part of the allure of that. But then all of a sudden, you know, next thing you know, you're in, involved with an international organized crime ring that doesn't want you to leave. And, you know, that that these types of things, there, there are now cases out there of people who would have otherwise never gotten in the situations that they are, that they are in, who can give that testimony to the young kids and say, I'm an example of what can happen and the dangers that are there. And we can't. While I, you know, I absolutely agree, David and Perry, about the the parental responsibilities. We have to do our best with that as parents. Myself, it's very difficult. I, I, my learning curve of the online world occurred way before anything. I, I don't even know what I'm looking at half the time when I'm checking my son's stuff. You know, so there's there's there is a big problem with that. Obviously, I I love my my son greatly, and I don't want any harm to come come to him, but. You know, it's sometimes you're you're powerless to do anything about that. But, you know, you got to look at it from the, you know, we roads have stop signs. They have crosswalks. They have guardrails. They have speed limits. Cars have seatbelts. You know, if we look at the online environment as a road, none of those things exist. It's just a wide open street with hundreds of cars zipping back and forth that we expect our kids to cross. Or as Chuck and I were talking about the other day, it's a minefield where they, we expect our kids to go and play in this thing. You know, there's no assistance from these companies to protect our children. They they have shown, and the Senate hearing showed it, and the statements from their CEO showed it, they have no interest in protecting the children on their on their platforms, none. And they will not take any action unless they're forced to. And the only thing that's going to make them take action is legislation. Well, you know, Randy, and I'm
0: glad you brought it up and and we will cover it in our next sec- section and we're doing an awful lot of work in AI and consent, but the 233 uh, law, uh, John, that may get retracted. I've never seen such bias, bipartisan support going after the tech companies and, try, and repealing they're uh, the, the, you know repealing their protection from liability for this. I think it, you know I would be really surprised if it doesn't go away. And then, you know, and uh, I used to be as a doctor, I used to th- think tort reform, great, blah, blah, blah. But I got to tell you, I, I believe in smart litigation, smart regulation, smart taxation, not zero of all, of all three. And I think we really need smart legislation and smart litigation. They've got to have a real serious penalty, um, uh, you know, and if they don't, we can't get them involved. But what I'm really motivated on uh, now and we will be wrapping up is uh there's something we all can do in our own community right now, like right now. And that's what we're doing with this course that we're putting together where senior our seniors in my son's school and other seniors in our community are gonna teach college readiness, freshman readiness, and and educate each other about the fact that they're going to go play football in a minefield. And look, and the the, the, the freshmen will listen to the seniors in high school tell them about, these are the risks, you need to get ready for college, guess what? Look at the open app and look at all the stuff that you've got to fill in. It's better to start doing some work now than wait till your junior year. And at the same time, the critical issue of vaping. And then and then Randy, and I'll come to you, John, just in a sec, but in our prior program, watch it. We were shocked to find out that if a boyfriend and girlfriend that are underage, if the, either one of them is underage, they share, nude pictures with each other, only with each other, they both can, there's a case of both getting charged. They both are charged, it's gonna be on their record. The, the girlfriend pleaded out, the boy, not yet. And another case where just receiving the pictures, a kid gets suspended from high school. Well, that means that goes on his record as well, just by receiving the pictures. And, and Randy, I had to look up elicitation when you and I talked about elicitation, interstate uh, transport of child pornography and possession. I was shocked to find out that if a kid takes a nude picture of themselves and has it on their phone, they can be charged with possession, their own picture of themselves. So
5: one of the kids understand any of these laws. Chuck- that, that's that's a big part of that, Chuck, is that if, you know, the, 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 the breadth of the social universe it transcends state lines. You could be converse- having conversations with somebody or have an online girlfriend or boyfriend in a different state. Well, guess what? If you do accept or distribute your picture to that person, whether you're an adult or not. Federal law. It's a federal violation. 15-year minimum sentence. We had a guy get busted in San Diego just the other week that was trafficking, sex trafficking, a 15-year-old girl. That person got 12 years. It's Think crazy. About that. So John,
0: can you, uh, you know, you're a JD, you understand the system, you understand public health, public safety, aviation safety, patient safety. Um, We're gonna count on you to reach out to our board members to to get off their assets and put some money behind helping prevent harm to the kids in their communities. Your thoughts?
1: Well, I think
10: that's entirely true, and uh, and I I think that one of the, the main things is, you know, we we're supposed to teach our kids about law. We're supposed to teach them about uh not putting themselves in danger, uh, just uh, walking around in the uh, in their own environment. This is a parental responsibility, but we have to help parents understand all that's necessary about it, and that takes a, an up and down type approach all the way to the Congress all the way to uh, to these companies, as well as uh, just down in your own living room. It's it's incredibly important. Now, law is always going to be behind social change. And in this case, it's way, way behind. I mean, how ridiculous that you might be ha- having a kid facing 15 years in prison, and yet people this day and time get into a courtroom and lie their way into a courtroom and nobody does anything about it because district attorneys are loath to charge anybody with perjury. Uh, We've got, we've got some realignments to do here.
0: Well, John, thank you. And I just like to thank all of you. Uh, We'll have an extended, those of you that are on the podcast, we'll have an extended session of more content. Uh, Those of you that are live, we really appreciate uh, your attention. And this as usual will be posted as a video on our website, Part two will be next month, and I I really am so grateful to David Grensfelder, Perry Bachtel, Randy Steiner, John Nance, uh, David Bash, uh, Doctor uh, Boats, Doctor Gregory Boats, and uh, Chief uh, Bill Adcox who will be in the extended session. We really appreciate uh, all of you, uh, uh, and we'll close with uh, uh, Jenny Dingman, uh, who has always been a faithful supporter of helping. Uh, Uh, helping all of us with the things that we've got to get done here in safety and quality. And so we'll just ask her to to close for us. And then we'll wrap up today's webinar. Thank you all so much.
11: That was really a great program today. Thank you to all of our speakers for all of the knowledge and wisdom that you're giving to us. Again, I wanna thank all of our participants for being here today and encourage you to please share the recordings with your friends, families, and colleagues. Looking forward to next month and God bless everyone here.
0: So as we close, uh, we always use this expression, uh, fight the good fight, finish the race, uh, and keep the faith. We say this at the end of every one of our MedTech videos and boy, this is a fight. We definitely are fighting a, a, a a, a pretty bad bunch of predators that are taking advantage of our kids. We just want to thank everyone and remind everyone, everyone is a patient and everyone can be a caregiver. And uh, we are so thankful that uh, our group here are uh, motivated and excited about helping us uh, get the message out. Thank you all so much. And part two of protecting our kids online, we will cover uh, next month.